0: Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott.
1: I have been discussing Jesus' divine titles, including Messiah, among others. The Old Testament writers were reluctant to refer to God directly as Yahweh. So they used a code of four letters, Y-H-W-H, called a Tetragrammaton. Jesus' I Am statements acceded to that title. Jesus was called the Son of God and Jesus paid special attention to the fact that he used the Aramaic name Abba for his Heavenly Father. In this episode, I discuss the fourth title, the Son of Man. The most commonly and deliberately chosen title that Jesus applied to himself was this title, the Son of Man. It is found in all four Gospels. That title occurs 82 times in the New Testament. Remarkably, this title is found only once outside the Gospels. That one exception happened when Stephen said before his death, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man at the right hand of God. Acts 7, verse 56. Within the Gospels themselves, every occurrence of the phrase, the Son of Man, comes from Jesus himself, with only one exception, and that one case is a quotation of the words of Jesus, John 12, verse 34. For all intents and purposes, while Jesus was on the earth, no one called him by that title except Jesus himself. Whenever conservative Christian scholars can find a common area of agreement with the Jesus Seminar, the demythologizing students of Rudolf Bultmann, the higher critics of the Bible, and Christian liberalism, to prove something beneficial about Jesus, We should jump at the opportunity in order to get them to acknowledge the truth about Jesus rather than continuing their quest of discounting the reliability of the biblical accounts. The criterion of dissimilarity seems to be such a common area of agreement. It is a method in biblical criticism designed to determine if a statement attributed to Jesus can be considered authentic. Ernest Kaseman, a former student of Bultmann, introduced this criterion in 1953. He postulates that traditions about Jesus derive from only three sources. First, from earlier Jewish traditions. Second, from early Christian church traditions. Or third, from true historical accounts of Jesus' ministry. The criterion states that if a statement attributed to Jesus differs from the Jewish traditions of his time and also from the early church traditions, that came to prominence after his death and resurrection, then it is likely to be authentic. Using this criterion, we can take the interchange with the high priest in Mark 14, verses 60 to 64, therefore, as authentic. I have said that for all intents and purposes, the New Testament usage of the phrase, Son of Man, come from Jesus' own appellation for himself. So what about the Old Testament usage? The expression son of man occurs in the Old Testament as a synonym for man. It is a Semitic idiom for human being. There are only 107 Old Testament occurrences of the phrase son of man from Strong's and Cruden's Concordances, I count 92 occurrences in the book of Ezekiel where it refers to the prophet Ezekiel himself. There are four occurrences in Psalms, four in Jeremiah, two in Isaiah, two in Daniel, two in Job, and one in Numbers, all except one referring to human beings. I know of only two occurrences in the Old Testament that seem to refer to someone with messianic significance and not to ordinary human beings. One occurrence is found in Daniel 7 verses 13 to 14. This occurrence is clearly messianic. The other is Psalm 8 verse 4, which some claim is messianic, but I doubt it. The one in Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14 says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, God, and they brought him, the one like the Son of Man, near before God. Then to him, the one like the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve or worship. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Chapter 7 of Daniel begins with a vision of four beasts, found in chapter 7, verses 1 through 14. And then the vision is interpreted in chapter 7, verses 15 to 28. The beasts are four kings. The fourth kingdom shall devour the whole earth. But we are told that the court in heaven will sit for judgment and this dominion of the fourth king will be taken away annihilated and destroyed forever, in chapter 7, verse 26. So God's kingdom prevails. In this context, this one like a son of man obtains authority to rule over God's kingdom, 7, verses 13 and 14, and exercises that authority universally, sharing that rule with the people of God, in chapter 7, verses 15 to 28. While some people might mistakenly assume that this Son of Man title is a mere claim of just being human as the title Son of God would refer to His deity, but such an assumption fails to take into account the Jewish background of the term in Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. The scholarly consensus is is that the Son of Man is a divine figure who will come at the end of the world to establish the kingdom of God and judge mankind. This vision will ultimately be fulfilled in Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. In his book, The Sun Rises, William Lane Craig writes, the Son of Man was a divine figure in the Old Testament book of Daniel, thus the claim to be the Son of Man would in effect be a claim to divinity. The second occurrence of a Messianic Son of Man is supposedly found in Psalm 8, verse 4. However, to interpret Psalm 8, verse 4 as having Messianic connotation is too big a stretch For me, I think the psalmist praises God for making human beings the pinnacle of his creation. So I do not believe this passage refers to a divine son of man. Therefore, I see all 107 occurrences of the phrase son of man in the Old Testament as referring to human beings except in the one case in Daniel 7 verses 13 and 14. Note in the conversation with the high priest, Jesus is really talking about his second coming. Matthew 24 and 25, Mark 13, verses 1 through 37, and Luke 21, verses 5 through 36, the so-called Olivet Discourse, record the coming of the Son of Man and clearly distinguishes it from Jesus' first advent. The fifth title, Savior, Joseph was told by an angel of the Lord in a dream, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The angel of the Lord told the shepherds on the Judean hillside, There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Luke two verse eleven. There are three titles the angel announced, namely Savior, Christ Lord. According to his own teaching, Jesus summarized his mission to earth when he said For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost, Luke 19, verse 10. He said, For I did not come to call the self-righteous, but sinners, Matthew 9, verse 13. But here is the vital point. Only God can save. This great theme is echoed throughout the Old Testament. The nation of Israel is reminded time and time again that she cannot save herself, nor can she be saved by the man-made idols of the nations around about her. It is the Lord and the Lord alone who will save. Isaiah records the words of God, who has declared this from ancient time. Have not I the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a just God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Look to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. Isaiah 45 verses 21 and 22. Hosea records God saying, you shall know no God but me for there is no Savior besides me, Hosea 13, verse 4. In the full knowledge of that fact, the early Christians had no hesitation in affirming that Jesus alone was the Savior, that he alone could save. Peter, addressing the Sanhedrin after the resurrection and the ascension, said, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Paul wrote Titus, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Titus, chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. John wrote, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. In 1 John 4, verse 14. Of all the religions, Christianity alone has a Savior. This is one reason we believe Christianity is the only true religion.
0: with Joe Mott.